Recovery Elevator, episode 412. It was a blessing to find a community of people that decided that alcohol is no longer part of their life and that they're okay sharing those struggles because it's thrown to our face, you know, 10,000 times a day in marketing that this is the way that we're supposed to deal with stress. It's the way we're supposed to deal with feelings, relationships. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, listeners, we have Brad. He's 35 years old from good old Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he took his last drink on August 31st, 2018. That's big time, Brad. Great job. Listeners, I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. And before we get any further, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Exact Nature. Exact Nature was founded by a father and son in addiction recovery. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specially formulated to help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery, and we are so grateful to have them as our sponsor. Beat your cravings with their Detox Blend. If you are interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. This February 11th, this is going to be Saturday at noon Eastern, we start our six-week sober ukulele course. I am pumped to announce this course is once again sponsored by Kala Brands Ukulele. Now, what are you going to learn and what does a Kala ukulele sound like? Well, I'm going to show you. This is a C chord. This is an E minor chord. This is an F chord. You're gonna learn these three chords, and if you put them together, you can get this. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high. And yes, learning that song is in the course itinerary. So you're gonna learn the basics of how to play the ukulele. You'll learn how to meditate with the instrument, and you're going to connect with others whose goal is to live an alcohol-free life. All Saturday course sessions are live, and you can watch the recording if you miss a class. There are also office hours during the week if you need additional help. This course starts in about a month, which means you've got plenty of time to pick up a ukulele. I recommend a Calibran ukulele. I love the way mine sounds. Use the code 23ELEVATOR, that's 23ELEVATOR, at Calibrands for 15% off your order. Link to the ukulele page is in the show notes as well to Calibrand with the link. Thank you, Robin. Okay, let's get started. Get your connection on. This should be a fun intro today. All right, so it's a little gloomy at first, but I'm not worried. We can and will get this under control. Look, I know this intro is a simplified way of looking at this, addictions and illnesses, dis-ease, but I do feel it holds water and I believe in what I'm covering today. Okay, so stick with me for a second. Human beings are wired for human connection. We need it to survive. It's that simple. On top of food, clean water, and shelter, we need healthy interaction with other human beings for our biology to function normally. 
Today, however, we are not getting this healthy interaction. People's rates of self-reported loneliness have doubled in the last 20 years from 20% to 40%. And here's what happens when we are lonely or don't connect. In the USA, the richest country in history, 60% of adults have chronic disorders such as high blood pressure or diabetes. 40% have two conditions. Now, nearly 70% of Americans are on at least one prescription drug and 50% are on two. So this is the outcome when we don't connect. Throughout the Western world, mental health disorders are on the rise. In 2019, even before the pandemic, 50 million Americans suffered a mental episode. This figure was 30% higher at the end of the pandemic. Yikes. In Europe, according to the authors of a recent international survey, mental health disorders have become the largest health challenge of the 21st century. Pediatricians, or doctors for the kiddos, are now citing anxiety and depression as common doctor visits opposed to 15 years ago when they were extremely rare. A vast review of multiple studies encompassing more than 300,000 participants concluded that the lethal effects of deficient interpersonal relationships, aka loneliness, is comparable to such risk factors as smoking. It's actually more dangerous than inactivity or obesity. So I've heard that loneliness is akin to smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. Again, listeners, this is the outcome when we don't connect. Being lonely, as far as negative health effects, is the same as smoking 15 to 30 cancer sticks per day. Now to summarize, for you to be healthy both physically and mentally, it's imperative we have authentic interaction with other human beings. All the stats I just read are symptoms of us being lonely and disconnected. Addictions are also a symptom of this disconnection. You see this in the big book of AA. It says multiple times that drinking was but a symptom. Okay, listeners, in my opinion, addictions, and for us in this podcast, that's a drinking problem. These addictions are adaptations for us to live in unhealthy environments. A drinking problem is the result of us living out of balance or not in line with our authentic selves, or it's a result of when we don't get the human interaction or connection that we need. Now, there's a lot more that goes into an addiction, but at the fundamental level, that's it. Okay, I'm going to make a sweeping declaration. Here goes. All of our Western illnesses are symptoms that we are disconnected or living way out of balance. You throw in some big T, some little T trauma, and you have the perfect conditions for an addiction to take root. Hello, drinking problem. So are we fucked? Are we doomed? My answer is no, no way, not at all. In fact, this is an easy one with a fun solution. There is a remedy, there is a cure. So similar to if you have rickets, get more sunshine or vitamin D. Scurvy, eat some oranges, vitamin C. Addicted to alcohol, get your connection on. If conditions still persist, keep trying different ways to connect. Your health, wholeness, and happiness depend on this connection. Now, one could argue the most prolific recovery program around today is AA, which has been going strong for 87 years. If you strip away all the steps and traditions, what you have at the basic level is connection. Oftentimes, this connection takes place in the most raw of formats. At first, much of AA membership was built in hospitals when recovered alcoholics would make bedside visits to struggling alcoholics. They would share their story, they would listen, and they would connect. At Recovery Elevator, our private community is called Cafe RE. If you take away all of our bells and whistles, we're doing the same thing. We're connecting. That's it. 
Now, the skill to connect is something we are losing. Connection or the ability to connect is a skill that needs to be practiced. In elementary, middle school, high school, and higher ed, we are in an environment where this happens naturally for the most part. In adulthood, not so much, and this requires action. Now, how to connect, listeners? First off, there are infinite ways, but here is what I recommend. Number one, leverage your decision to quit drinking. Now, here's what I mean. I've been a part of many sports teams, clubs, organizations, societies, committees, panels, task forces, and even one guild. None of them, not one, have the same level of camaraderie as sobriety. So leverage what you have in common. In episode 386, I talk about the biggest mistake people make when they quit drinking. And here it is. They just quit drinking. They don't connect with this immense supportive community who are waiting for you to join. All right. Number one, leverage the drinking problem. Number two, go to AA. Join Cafe RE. Meet with other sober peeps in the gyms of the Phoenix. There have never been more sober groups on the planet than there are right now. So that's it. There are two rules to connect. Number one, leverage what you have in common. Leverage the drinking problem. Number two, connect. That's less rules than Fight Club as we try to keep this simple. Now, I want to add one more thing before we hear from Brad. When we hear connection, we first think it's always human to human. But animals can 100% satisfy this requirement. We've all heard the phrase, dog is man's best friend. In the depths of my addiction in 2014, it was my standard poodle, Ben, who saved me. Many people have said, Paul, I want to thank you for your podcast, but you all need to thank my dog, Ben, who was my lone thread of connection on this planet. This was the connection that got me sober. All of you are keeping me sober. It's neat how this works. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our intro today. I'm certain you've heard the word connection over 20,000 times on this podcast, and you're going to hear it 20,000 more times. That is how important connection is. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Brad. How many times have you felt like you can't make positive changes in your life if you aren't feeling 100%? I know that for me, I don't always feel like I'm at my best. I've learned through therapy, though, that not feeling my best does not equal to not feeling empowered. I can accept my emotional wobbles and still feel empowered to take care of myself and my mental health. We have agency. We can get to the point where we trust ourselves enough to move forward in the right direction. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. BetterHelp is convenient and flexible. Also, it's entirely online. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist at any time for no additional cost. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Elevator. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Brad. Brad, how the heck are you doing today? Oh, Awesome. Awesome. It's a, it's a cloudy day out there, but uh, it's a nice day to be online with you. So well, I, I appreciate you taking the time, my dude. It's been a while since we visited, so it'll be nice to have a little catch up. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming on the show. Audience, we've got a return guest today. Uh, Brad was on episode 217. And if I remember from the 
page I looked at four seconds ago. <laughs> I think he, <laughs> I think he had something like 167 days of sobriety. Why don't you tell us when was your last drink and, and where does that put you, put you today? Yeah. Um, I, my last drink was August 31st, 2018. Um, it puts me over four years at this point, um, round in, uh, four, four and a quarter, four and a half years. So nice job, brother. That's amazing. How are you feeling? My dude? Uh, life's never been better. I'll be honest. Um, living sober is such a rewarding way to live life. And, um, I'm just really happy that I got the opportunity to get sober at that time. I did. That's cool, man. Well, uh, I want to encourage listeners to, uh, I think it's fun to do, uh, to do and to hear some of these, uh, repeat guests. And I want to encourage people to go back and take a listen to episode 217 and then come back and listen to this or listen to this first. It doesn't matter. You do your order. That's fine. You do anyway, your thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but just, uh, I know that there's with all of us, there's like a natural, evo- there's just an evolution that takes place within us and the way that we view ourselves and our recovery. So, um, it'll be cool, uh, cool to, to kind of see where that, where the growth has taken place. But before we get into that, uh, let's get to know you a little bit, Brad. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living age, married family, things like that. And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm from Northeast Indiana. I was born in Fort Wayne, uh, Indiana, went to school down in Indianapolis for a period of time, and then eventually moved back up here. Um, I have a wife and a daughter who's now five, and uh, we have two little rescue dogs. I apologize if you can hear them. (laughs) So that's my family. Um, Currently, I'm in a sales role. So I do some sales and I work remote. So as they say, the hardest steps are getting from the bedroom to the office (laughs) in that business. I really enjoy spending time with my family and being a part of of my family finally. And also I enjoy playing golf. That's something I've always enjoyed. Um, that's one of my free time things, uh, involved in my church and just, uh, enjoy living life with my friends and even my friends in the AA recovery community as well in my local area. I love what you said, finally being a part of your family. Yeah. I think that says something about where you're at and where where you've come from. And this is a pet friendly podcast. So if we hear a little barking, that's fine. (laughs) They've been kind of cooped away all day, so I can't guarantee anything, but you'll probably hear them. <laughs> so it goes. All right, man. Well, let's do what we came here to do, Brad. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about your story. Let's start with with your introduction to alcohol. What what did that what did that look like? And let's let's walk it forward. Yeah, my first beer, I think I was 16 and I was at my uncle's campfire. There was a graduation going on and I had a beer and uh, my folks freaked out about it because that wasn't really in my nature to do. Um, There wasn't a lot of aha moments. This is great. And I kind of stayed sober uh, up until I got into college. So I was pretty uh, scot-free going into my teenage years. And I went to school and of course, drinking is a part of that in a lot of ways, unfortunately. Started kind of just dabbling in it, to be honest with you. Had a couple of roommates and things like that, that kind of made drinking something that was kind of a social activity. To be honest, uh, it didn't really ramp up until my sophomore year of college. Um, I was blessed with an opportunity to go over to England and I got around some people that 
lived more of the fraternity sorority lifestyle. And uh, I went to a small Christian university, so I wasn't used to being around that. Oh, a little, and, um, little bit of a change of pace. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I was 20, man. And, uh, I was having the time of my life in my own mind. You know, I was drinking every night. I was hanging out till wee hours of the morning, um, being that American tourist, seeing some really cool parts of the world. I actually almost got arrested in Ireland for public intox. <laughs> Um, I was with some people um, that might have been an indicator, but it was, you know, kind of a party lifestyle. Then Um, we were drinking by the spire that they have. And uh, Bobby came up behind me and like tapped me with a nightstick. He's like, hey, man, you got to throw that away. We're not allowed to drink in public in Ireland. And I just kind of looked back at him and was like, I didn't know that about Ireland, but apparently you're not allowed to walk around with booze. (laughs) So um, I went on that experience and I came back and I was turning 21 and I had all the stories and I thought I was a big um, story teller and you know i've been there done that seen that kind of uh i look back at my younger self and i'm like man i was cocky you know started going and frequently the bars around campus and going you know to house parties and things like that i noticed that i was never happy with just one drink at that point i i turned into kind of a binge drinker which it'd be anywhere from you know three to four drinks minimum when i go out um if not five I always made it to class, graduated Magna Cum Laude, um, don't know how I did it, some aspects of it. Got into the workforce really around when we had that big recession and um, it was hard to find work. Found a good job for a while and uh, my drinking ramped up because I was kind of going to a different environment from being a student to being an adult. Started drinking, you know, probably three, four days a week um, and I drink to excess. I'm sure I come into the office and I smelled like bourbon or whatever I was drinking at the time. Yeah, just a question. You know, I know in 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 college is kind of the perfect recipe. Just the the atmosphere. You know, you're you're around yeah. your your students. You're young, and that's just kind of not that you don't have responsibilities, but they they just look different. Yep. You said that you're drinking ramped up, like as you started working, and I'm just curious. Like, did you find yourself with like uh, with peers that you were working with? Did you did the friendships carry over from college? Was it did like as it ramped up? Did the the social environment, so to speak, yeah. change? Yeah, it was, um, I was working in a company full of folks that were like 20 years older than me. And I was the only one at my age doing what I was doing. So I was a bit isolated. And I had some friends that were doing their victory lap, as they call it, going on a fifth year of college. <laughs> so I go back to campus on the weekends and party with them. So I was kind of in this weird mix of, oh, I'm getting a paycheck now. And, oh, I'm trying to, you know, still be myself at, you know, t- right age of 22, 23. It would get to the point where, you know, I was I was drinking to get drunk at that point, I'd say. Um, okay. Not that I wasn't when I was in um, when I was in college, but I was drinking to get drunk, you know, just because I was in kind of an awkward situation with work and kind of my life. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people. We have these stages in our life of, of transition. And I know mm-hmm. like when I went to when I went to rehab, we had to fill out this like drinking chart of when our frequency or amount changed. And for me, almost every time there was a significant change was as a result of some, some major transition happening in my life. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, I think you hit the nail on the head trying to figure out who you are. You have friends still in school, but you're in a job and you're kind of maybe feel a little I don't know if excluded or, or different than the rest of your coworkers. You're the new guy, you're younger. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a lot to internally to just to try to figure out who we are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and then, yeah, I, that's, I think that's 
good, um, you know, retrospect, looking back, noticing that you were like that, that was your point was to get drunk. Did yeah. Yeah. It, it, dealing with those feelings of inadequacy, being new in the workforce, you know, you mentioned talking about one of those alcohol tests. I mean, I took one in college and all my friends and I all sport alcoholics, you know, and we were just kind of brushed it off as something. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> like we went in depth, but it was like someone with a, you know, a, a was it a pad or pad and a, a test. And yeah. uh, it was one of those things where we just kind of, you know, wrote it off, you know, but yeah, at that point in my life, it was trying to come up with being an adult. And I don't, think society really prepares college students to really take that step or maybe it's just me as an alcoholic to take that next step into adulthood which is you know responsibilities and you know figuring out what your life's journey is you don't have a regimen anymore you know you, you have a work regimen but you don't have that like trying to get an a in a class type thing either because yeah. works rarely like that as well so yeah I, I started drinking to get drunk around that for sure I think for me what a lot of it was because if generally speaking everybody goes through these transitions mm -hmm. right but if you if you talk to anybody you know if you talk to most people about it they have those similar feelings of of inadequacy and fear yep. and I, I don't think that we're completely unique but i think for a lot of us something that you and i probably have in common is that maybe not knowing having necessarily healthy ways to deal with it absolutely or, or knowing how to have that knowing how to that have that conversation with somebody and just say you know hey like i'm having a tough time and if you if you don't know how to talk about it you you're already feeling a certain way and you think that talking about it might exacerbate that or or now other people are going to know and they're going to think that i'm even more inadequate so but hey there's this elixir yeah yeah <laughs> and i mean that i guess to to get to the point on that too there were a lot of friendships where they moved back home so there were a few people ripped out of my life too that were key in college as I was starting into adulthood. So we're talking about 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, and a lot of it was searching for my purpose, spending a lot of time in bars, um, spending a lot of time trying to figure out what I wanna do in kind of a weird economic time. And that was my coping mechanism. You know, I couldn't wait for that drink when I get off work. I never drank at work or drink to get up in the morning. Whoever's suffering with that, you know, I, my heart goes out to them because it's a compulsion, you know, it's yeah. a definite compulsion and uh, we all have different bottoms, but that's kind of where I would go out. I'd be the guy that knew all the beers and all the bourbons and all the stuff and, you know, kind of did my thing. Yeah. I can't imagine how much money I, I wasted <laughs> doing that too. <laughs> now that I look back on it. <laughs> that's a thought that I don't want to think about too much. Yeah. Either. Yeah. So, <laughs> let's just keep moving forward. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> But yeah, so let's do let's let's do that too. What did things look like going forward? Did did you find yourself settling into work? Yeah, yeah. There was actually some some job jumping. I went and worked in the family business. That didn't really go very well. My father was getting out of the business, and um, I think my my uncle had some issues um, with him, and it didn't go very well for me. And then I worked in a bank, and I was working six days a week and um a nine to five wear a tie every day kind of job and uh ironically you know i'm out trying to find someone to be a companion and i found my wife um back in 2012 um we were out at a bar and i met her because the owner of the bar wanted me to meet these girls that were outside having fun and that was kind of when the next step of my drinking career kind of kicked off 
fell, fell in love, still in love with my wife, love her to death, but we would spend a lot of our time going out to different cocktail bars, uh, drinking. And, you know, I'd always have maybe one or two too many, but it was all kind of a celebration of that. Um, but there was always a feeling of inadequacy that I had about what I was doing. My wife's always had kind of this idea. She's a nurse practitioner. She had a line of career things that she wanted to get done. Um, myself, I was just more transient at that point. So I think I drank a little bit out of the inadequacy then too. Um, and it kind of ramped up. Um, I'd start drinking at home. I started buying a lot of liquor bottles for my house. Um, started, you know, trying to make cocktails all the time, trying to, you know, drink every night. Um, it became a nightly thing. You know, she'd tell me, you know, you need to slow it down. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I didn't, I continued to, to have cocktails every night and, you know, I, it started changing too. When I started to bring a, a glass of bourbon to bed every night too, I thought I watched TV in bed and drink. That's kind of where our engagement are being boyfriend and girlfriend. And, and then um, we start living together and that's when my drinking became more of a, Hey, you really need to think about what your limits are. And I had never had really thought about that before. Um, Cause it had been, it'd been, it'd been a friend for a long time. Yeah. And if it's, if it's filling that need for us, we don't, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we, I, we don't want to see that. Like we don't, right. we don't want to see that it could be a problem because we know what it's providing us. And sometimes if we haven't hit those, those points where there's tangible consequences, it's, it's what's, what's the problem. I'm just doing mm-hmm. my thing here. As you started to hear some of that language from her, where, where she was taking note, did you, at that point, did you ever start to, did you take a look at it? Did you brush it off? Did you defend it? I defend it. And then there was a, I'm Catholic. So we do Lent and I gave up drinking for Lent and, uh, I ended up getting to about day 39 and I had a glass of wine and I just started drinking two or three glasses that night and got drunk. So there was, there was conversations that like spiritually, you know, can you, can you figure that out? And, and yeah, there was a lot of defense to it. Like, oh, this is what everyone does. You know, am I a different than anyone else? In my own mind, making excuses for it being good behavior, you know, and being rewarded. You know, I had the whole work hard, play hard mentality yeah. back then too. So I felt, well, I work hard to figure out what I want to do. And, you know, she's just finishing up her graduate degree and I'm kind of supporting the household at that point. So there was a part of me that thought this was like a well-deserved reward for, you know, a hard week of work, you know, and uh, that was something that, that definitely, it was starting to drive a wedge in our relationship at that point. That pesky ego, man, she can get pretty, pretty toxic and, yeah. and take our heads to some places where we, where we would say and do things that we that we normally wouldn't, but again, it's I think a mix of ego and then just addiction itself, trying to protect itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a uh, it's one of those things that your ego can. It's so hard to stay drunk. It really is. It's not like I was staying drunk as a binge drinker. So it's it's hard to wake up the next morning after seven or eight or nine cocktails, strong cocktails. Cause I didn't know how to pour things in ration. You know um, it's hard. It's hard to continue to do that, you know, three, four nights a week and moderately drink the other, you know, three or four nights a week or two nights yeah. a week. So <laughs> yeah. um, it's a hard thing to do. It's it, it, if you look looking at it from today's eyes, not those times. So, yeah, I just, I, I was just talking about that with the, with, uh, a guy yesterday and just the logistically the work that we put into it it's it's unreal and mm-hmm. to look back and just be like man the, like 
you know, we, we mentioned earlier the money that we have spent, but just the time and energy to acquire and to justify and to maintain this thing is, is preposterous. But when we're, when we're in it, it's, we don't, we don't see it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, let's, let's keep going, Brad. I want to make sure that we, that we have plenty of time to talk about, um, to talk about what the last four years have looked like. Uh, So let's step up to kind of that end phase of drinking. Yeah. The end, like what did, what did the end look like for you? Yeah. The end was around 2017. My wife had gotten pregnant and we were trying to get pregnant. It was an exciting time. Um, And my grandfather, we found out passed away and it was a suicide. Um, And my drinking just really started to ramp up. I was getting into a new industry at that time in pharmaceutical sales. And I went down to a training and all I did was drink the entire time. I'll be honest. Everyone, there is not everyone, but there was a good group of people that were doing that. I ended up in an airport and this isn't the story that got me, that got me, but it's a good story to kind of preclude where I go. We got, I got to an airport and I missed my flight. I had a 12 hour layover and I drove from Atlanta to Fort Wayne drunk home. Um, Didn't get pulled over at that point. Oh Um, man. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just crazy stuff. And I I talked about that in the early episode, but you know, I I was kind of in a frantic mode. I think when I was telling the story, um, I was still feeling the emotions of it. Swearing to my life, I'd never do that again. You know, that sort of thing. Um, Went, you know, there was a layoff right before my daughter was born. And I got to have like a Norwegian, you know, paternity leave almost. They gave me a severance package and I spent most of that time drinking, you know, right after my daughter was born. And there's some bonding things that I think I missed out on because of where my mind was, to be honest with you. And I I kept drinking heavily um, as much as I possibly could. And there was good reason at these sales conferences to do that. So I would do that there. I party hard. I come home and, you know, I drink half a fifth of bourbon, you know, out and uh, continue to do that all the way through the summer of that year. So when my daughter was born was in November, we're then getting into January or July and August. And um, I'm driving the company vehicle on the night of the 31st. And I had had some drinks at my parents' house and I came home and I was just in one of those moods where I needed to get out and go. And I did that. And I could tell you, I hit about three bars and I don't know what happened after that point. Um, I'll tell you, not kind of a sad story, but this is where I was at. I ended up getting pulled over for what we call an Indiana OWI. And it was in the company vehicle (laughs) and I got put in the jail. And I later find out when I call my wife from jail that I had been at a strip club, which is not my nature to go do. And the reason she found out that I was out doing something was that my ATM card wasn't was was fraudulent because I was trying to get an ATM at a strip club to get money out. Wow. Um, as ridiculous as that sounds. Um, so I made the, a really hard phone call. Yeah, I made the phone call at 4 a.m. to my wife. Um, she said she picked me up. I don't think I deserved to be picked up at that point, but she said she picked me up. And then I had this thought process of either, you know, I can run away. Um, I had suicidal thoughts at that point because I never been in trouble in my life. I never got attention in school or I get help. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm never drinking again. Um, I remember getting in the car when my wife picked me up and she said, you can never drink again or I'm gone. I have a nine month old. And she said, my, me and your daughter were looking for you. We thought you were either in jail or dead. That day, my dad took me to my first AA meeting at a VA hospital. And I met some people there that told me not to kick myself in the butt too hard that this is a hard disease. And that's where the recovery journey started for me. 
Wow, Brad, that is a big, uh, a big, a big leap. And I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that you, that you looked at those decisions that you had on that, that morning and that you made the one that you did. Uh, and I'm sure your family is, is very grateful for that as well. I think so many of us, like we, we told the line, you know, you mentioned driving, you know, driving 12 hours and I've, you know, I've got my version of that as well, mm-hmm. you know, that where I've, I've done similar things that are just really not okay on, on any level. And we tow these lines because we don't, you know, there's, there's some consequences, but it, it hasn't, it hasn't been that, that tipping point necessarily, but yeah, that is a, like, that is a big whack. Like, Hey, here it is to, you know, to get locked up and then, yeah, it, uh, it was Labor Day weekend and that was, that was the thing. Um, I didn't know if I had a job on Tuesday. Um, I knew I had to be in court. I took a day sick in my story when I, in 217, I was a little frantic about it because I was still doing with consequences, but I ended up going in front of a judge and they dismissed my case. Wow. And my lawyer told me, you know, go live your life. And I said, okay, I'll go live my life. And that included the AA regimen of 90 meetings, in 90 days, you know, getting a sponsor have a great sponsor, work the steps with them. It was a blessing to find a community of people that decided that alcohol is no longer a part of their life and that they're okay sharing those struggles because it's thrown to our face, you know, 10,000 times a day in marketing that this is the way that we're supposed to deal with stress. It's the way we're supposed to deal with feelings, relationships. And that's where I found Cafe RE too, was I was free. Somehow I got the car, somehow I got my license back. I don't know how I did it. My dad helped me, drove me around town about five ways to figure it out. But I remember on that, that third or fourth day on the road, selling pharmaceuticals, uh, finding sobriety podcasts. And I found Recovery Elevator. There was a lady that had you know about 12 hours of sobriety. And that really hit me. And I started listening and binge list. You know, binging is not a part of my nature, of course. Um, binge listening <laughs> to Recovery Elevator. And it really made a difference. I uh, got some of the negativity out of my head. I didn't feel as alone. Um, it's kind of like my pocket sobriety group, which was really cool. Yeah, there's there's something special. We, I mean, we we say it over and over, uh, over and over again in this on this platform and in our community. There's just something special about hearing a version of our story through somebody else and just having having that relatability, especially about something that we've that we've felt so much shame about that we've you know attempted mm-hmm. to keep so hidden for so long. You know, I think there's there's probably a lot of people listening who have families who have had some sort of consequence, you know, yep. str- struggles in their relationship mm-hmm. as a result of the consequences of their drinking. Um, so I'd like to dig into that a little bit. You know, you said your your dad took you to your first meeting. Your wife told you she never wanted you to drink again. What did those early days look like? And then what has that relationship between between you and your wife what did that look like in the beginning how did like how did you navigate all of that and then versus you know like walk us up to like where you guys are today yeah yeah so so the end of the story is is that i eventually did get charged with an owi six months after um and that's when my interview at 217 happened six months after this situation happened the charges came up again and i was i had to go do what i had to go do lost my job went through the court system breathalyzer in the car, that sort of thing. Those first six months of sobriety looked a lot like two people laying on different sides of the bed, staying in a marriage because it was the right thing to do and the spiritual thing to do that we believe in. And I learned the word living amends and making an amends to my wife every day. 
Um, at that point, it only included not drinking. It didn't deal with, as we like to call in, in the program I'm in, uh, my character defects. I thought that, you know, if I stopped drinking, everything would be okay. Uh, that is true to a point, but there's a lot of emotions and things in my life that I had never dealt with or had the capacity to deal with as an adult. So those first six months looked like that. We went through the stress of, of doing um, the consequences from actions again. Um, mm -hmm. I'll tell you one of the best I talk about sometimes in, in meetings in AA is that when did you really commit to being sober? And I'll be honest with you, being in the drunk tank, sober, having to rebook myself into jail for five hours um, and getting to sit in the same spot that I sat in six months prior was the most cathartic and best thing that could have ever happened to me to, to establish that I wanted to live a life sober at that point. I continued on in the, in the AA program, found a good home group. Um, and that was that was a great thing for me. And then COVID happened and things were moving along pretty well. I started dealing with some things I need to deal with. I started becoming less selfish, still working on that, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a never ending story though, right? Yeah, it's, it's patience and, and, you know, dealing with that. But it really gets to the point of COVID and hanging on to the fact that most of the meetings weren't happening anymore. And yeah. I took a little bit of a time of about six, seven months. And this is, you know, in 2019, 2020, where I didn't go to a meeting and hold down the cafe or eat, listen to the podcast every Monday morning, looking at the group, the blue group that I'm in, that became kind of my world of knowing that there's a group of people that decided to, to make their lives better without the poison that they're putting in their bodies. Started learning that, you know, life can be something that is amazing and seen through sober eyes can be just as touching as, as numbing yourself. The cravings went away. That was a big deal. Going to a couple of family weddings and seeing the drunkenness there and having the cravings not be there. Not feeling like I had to be a part of that part of the party, you know? Yeah, and, and, and losing some friendships too. There's some friends that all I have were, were drinking relationships with and having to navigate that in the first year of sobriety was, was a big deal. But, you know, going to COVID, going through the COVID aspect of everything, um, hanging on to, to some Zoom meetings and then also with, with the Cafe Ari's event was, it was incredible. Um, but I did find myself lacking. And, and for me, with the digital age we're in, I, I felt myself lacking that personal connection. So I started going back to meetings about a year and a half ago. Um, on a weekly basis. And that's been really helpful for my sobriety. Yeah. I think there's something intangible about having those tangible relationships and just, it's a special thing that happens when you, when you're looking across at someone mm -hmm. who, who gets it. And again, like all of us have different, different stories. Hey, there's some puppies. We got some squirrels outside. I think, sorry, give me a second. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> my bad. <laughs> that's okay. But yeah, all of our stories are different. But they're, I think it, it, they're all the same as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we all drank, we all got to a point where we couldn't control it. And, you know, that's at some point there was a breaking point, you know, yeah. even though we all drank for different reasons and in different ways. I think that's the beauty of this disease, honestly, is hopefully we end up to this point, you know? Yeah. You know, you mentioned, uh, you also mentioned relationships and, and losing, you know, losing or, or having to step away from some friendships and like, like family weddings, and just observing other people's behavior and realizing mm -hmm. that that's, that that's not for you. Recognizing these changes in, in relationships and friendships, how have you been able to, to navigate that? And, and where do you find, where do you find relationships now? Yeah. One of the main things that 
kind of determined if they were going to be in my life or not is I say, I don't drink anymore. And that's one of the scariest things that I thought that I had early in sobriety is telling people I didn't drink. Um, but now I can gauge it on if you truly want to be a friend of mine, you know, just respect the decision. I don't drink. I can hang out with you anywhere. I'll have a diet Coke or, a, you know, a seltzer water or something, but it doesn't mean I'm not having a good time. It's just I don't drink. And some of those relationships, those golfing buddies, uh, the idea that you go out and get shammered on a golf course and all that, you know, those relationships have gone. They haven't called me. Um, I don't really miss it at that point, but at the time it was a really big deal. My close friends knew of the situation that I was in and luckily stuck with me and they understand that I don't drink and I don't have a problem with people drinking around me. Now I say that I do have a problem with obscene drunkenness around me. If it gets to, I go to bed now at 830. So if it gets past like 1030 at night and all we're doing is watching people take shots, you know, that's usually my cue to go just because I'm tired and I probably just, they're not going to remember it anyways. Yeah. But those relationships I do have, those that I've made in the program on the relationship I have with my sponsor has been a key relationship and just continuing to ground myself and, and knowing that there are people there that care about my personal development, my emotional development. And, um, there's always those aspects to give back uh, a trick I found for staying consistent. And I think the, I can't speak for the AA program itself, but for me is being of service and I make coffee at my meeting. Um, and for me, that's a reason to be there. It's a reason to connect. It's a reason why I don't feel like going somewhere to go somewhere. Um, and those relationships I built there are really cool. It's just having something in the calendar to look forward to and being of service to others. And that's what is a really neat thing about sobriety is you get to see those opportunities a lot more than when you were drinking. That's good, man. You know, with, with the friendship thing, it, it's, you're right. It is, it is a big deal at the time, but I think that's so important to, to realize that there's like, it, it's okay to, to step away. Like we're not, we're not going to be friends with the same people that we've been friends with our entire life. Like they're, there's a natural progression and just kind of like weeding out those folks who are, who are going to love us for who we are. You know, it's, mm -hmm. not, it's not that the only people we can hang out with is non-drinkers, but. Right. That but, was my biggest concern though, going in is, am I just going to sit at home and watch TV every day? You know, I remember a weird thought I had is like, well, I'd be able to do a champagne toast at my daughter's wedding, you know, and she's, she's nine months old at that point, yeah. you know, <laughs> those are things that you kind of think about, well, what's my life going to be without drinking? And Yes. At those times when you start, it's very hard to see, but you know, there's so much support and there's so many people that don't drink. And if you're listening to the podcast, I mean, you're on your way to meeting a whole bunch of people that have decided this isn't for them. It's amazing. The connections you make with people and, and where your life goes. Yeah. I think, yeah, that fear of the unknown can keep us out of it, but it, Absolutely. it, it shouldn't and just step into it. And then I love too, that you talked about that. You talked about your service commitment and uh, sometimes those, those things can feel like something small, whether it's charity meeting, making coffee, putting up the chairs. Uh, yeah. I mean, those are all like traditional, like st stereotypical 12 step type service commitments, but those, I think service can go beyond just that. I mean, it can be things in our home or in our, in our community. I think mm -hmm. that's, a great way one just to make a, a commitment to get up to get a person there also the other stuff is just to to that service commitment to to those around us gets us outside of ourselves yeah there's just there's some good stuff that happens when we start living our lives for other people 
Right. Not, yeah. I'm, yeah. It's, I mean, it's gotta be for us too, right? There's a balance. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, little tricks, you know, make yourself available, you know, put it in the calendar that you go to AA for me, it's seven 30 every Monday, you know, um, it's just what, what dad does every Monday night goes to a meeting, you know, it's a beautiful thing, making it consistent, you know, as opposed to, I'm just going to try and find one this week, you know, find one that you like, if that's what you want to do. There's a lot of other ways to get sober too. I'm not promoting one over the other. For me, it worked yeah. um, and it's working, but, you know, being consistent with what you're doing as opposed to, if that's your nature, you know, as opposed to just doing it on the fly too, is, is been really helpful. That's good, man. Brad, what do you, where do you sit with um, like triggers and, and, and cravings these days? Do you ever... Do you ever get anything like that pop up? You've got a pretty good chunk of sobriety under your belt. Yeah. Life gets lifey. It's, it's fleeting thoughts now. It's, and my wife is a very sparing drinker. She doesn't drink a lot. She has a glass of wine and she did two, two weeks ago and she drank half of it. And I said, I don't know how you can do that. You know, that's alcoholic in me being like, how do you not finish a glass of wine? But she's blessed with not having that issue. Sometimes in my, in my head, when I'm stressed, when I'm not feeling balanced, that fleeting thought comes in like, oh, well, maybe, maybe you should have a drink. And it's not directly that, but it feels like that anxious, anxious feeling like, oh, what just get me out of my own head. I like to use the acronym HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And usually it's one of those four things that's going on with me. And I address that need then. And it can get lonely. I think especially being a male in our society today, you know, with children, it can get, get kind of lonely. And those are some of the times right now that I'm finding if, if this thought comes, it's usually just because I'm isolated, which ironically was one of the reasons I drank was to, to not be isolated. Yeah. I'm an extrovert. So COVID was pretty tough. <laughs> oh, I feel I you. It's not still going on, but <laughs> I feel you disclaimer like like everybody has challenges but i think challenges that you and i can relate to with each other like being a a dude in society today there's i'm not going to say it's harder than being anybody else but there's no. there's 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 certain expectations of like how we're supposed to behave and, and societal norms and i think there's there's a lot of men right now who are suffering alone because they have a fear of 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 saying that they're having a hard time mm-hmm. and i think society puts that on us and i think that we we put it on ourselves as well you know i think back to like the worst times in my life you know in my active addiction i just i couldn't imagine i could not wrap my head around like walking up to another man and there was men that i was very close with you know good good buddies but the idea of going to one of them and saying i have a drinking problem and i don't know what to do just scared the shit out of me. And I just, I couldn't do it because that yeah. would, it would, it would have meant that, that I was weak or, or that I didn't know what I was doing. And it's such a line of shit that yeah. it's just, it's just wrong. Cause, the, cause those same men, like when they, when they found out because, you know, things got to their worst, I mean, I mean they showed up for me right? And, and they loved on me. And that's, it's, that's something now that even in sobriety is like every once in a while, I'll make uh uh, like an awkward text here two weeks ago it was the anniversary of of some tough stuff I went through and like I didn't want to, I didn't want to send it but I was like I mm-hmm. know that I need to and I sent these texts to my like my dudes my dudes who live here in my town I'm like hey just a heads up this is the anniversary of this and like I'm okay but I just want to like let you know and and 
the the love and support from them was they're just like hey man we're here for you like my buddy joe called me later on he's like hey are you doing okay you doing all right i'm like oh my god like why like why are we so hesitant to yeah to look for that help or or to accept it i think it's there and waiting mm-hmm. but anyway yeah my, my, I, I hear you and those are the, the ones that have stuck with me too i know paul talks a lot about burying the ships you know and yeah. I haven't done the big grand Facebook post. My gut's telling me maybe to do it at five years. I haven't done the big, hey, I'm sober now and, and whatever. But the friends and the people that I care about, my family, my friends, even new people, um, had a guy that was talking about a job. And he's like, are you the type of guy that I can go have some beers with? I'm like, hey, I don't drink, but I'll have a Diet Coke with you. No big deal. You know, having that mindset that this is a decision that's been made and there's really no coming back from it. Um, that's been really huge in, in nurturing those relationships too, is just being upfront and honest and living with integrity. You know, it's hard to do though, in those first few months, it's, it's hell, but eventually being honest about it, I found very few people who have been like, Oh, well, we can't hang out if you don't drink. I, I actually never had someone say that to me, yeah. so, <laughs> you know, um, but the love and support you get for saying you don't drink is a cool deal. Definitely. That's great, Brad. And I think, I think that makes you an asset to your to your community and to the people around you to uh i mean what a weird world that we live in i because when you like when you said you haven't made the facebook post i'm like yeah i know i know what that means like that that's just an observation that's a weird benchmark yeah. in the, yeah. the world today anyway like TikTok with, post, i don't know but yeah. whatever whatever the kids are doing these days i'm getting old man yeah <laughs> if you do a tiktok dance announcing your sobriety can you please send that to me and we'll, oh it'll, it'll be tagged yeah for sure <laughs> You don't want to see me dance, <laughs> but even like, even to have like little, those little conversations like that, or to, to have people in our life know, like, it doesn't have to, I, I just talked about this, I think in an intro or outro a month or so ago, it, like, it doesn't have to be this grand gesture, like just to be that person that two of the people in our lives, they know, Hey, that guy, that, he's a, that guy's a non-drinker. That guy's doing something different. It, it lets people know that we're there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's great. My favorite is one's, one's too many and a thousand ain't enough, you know? And right. If they, if they question you on it and they just say, you know, I've, I've drank, it's one's too many, a thousand ain't enough, you know? And yeah. they just look at you like, okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I don't like, I don't intentionally make people uncomfortable, but I'm also like very honest about, yeah. about, about who, who I am. And I'm like, listen, nobody wants any of that shit to happen. Like he, I promise you. Frank the Tank can't come back out of the out of the out of the woodwork. Yes, <laughs> from old school. Frank the Tank doesn't exist anymore for me. So you don't want to meet that guy. No, bad things, no, bad, I don't want to meet him. Happen. I want to punch him in the throat. <laughs> Some days I'm like, wow, that guy came back. You know, and and the and that's the thing is is that same person can kind of come back and the emotions and the way you live your life, and that's where continually having a support group or having things like cafe re and and the group are so important for me is it allows me to realize, wow, here's someone that's struggling with, you know, I saw some struggling posts this weekend. Here's someone struggling with day four, you know, like Mm -hmm. it gets you out of your whole, like, Oh, look what I can do. Sometimes I'm a fault. I can get into that mindset. And uh, it's, it's an amazing thing to, to see other people go along this journey too. And, and those that have a little bit of sobriety or none are thinking, considering doing it. I mean, you guys are inspirations to me. And I thought that was a line of crap when I first heard that from someone that had been sober for a period of time. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that that connection to to some sort of recovery community, and it can look like it can look like anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be traditional twelve step, cafe re. It, it can be a church group. It can be whatever. But having that connection to that is, uh, I think, it, it does a lot for us that that have some time to just again, it's an, an opportunity for that service work. And if we ever want to forget, like, oh, was it that bad? Yeah, it was. And that, you know, that newcomer is going to tell you how bad it is. You're like, oh shit, that's right. Okay. Maybe yep. we don't go, maybe we don't go back there. Yeah. And it, for me, it's a hybrid thing, you know, being active in, in our community. And also for me, it's a 12 step program, you know, um, that's, what's cool about sobriety is you can Lego block it any way you want to, as long as there's Legos there and you're connecting them, that's what's the important part of it. That's right. Make it your own. Mm-hmm. Brad, the time has screamed by. Oh my. And we are at the rapid fire round. And there was the music that just played. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's I asked time Paul is for, now. I asked Paul for that and he delivered. In 30 to 60 seconds, Brad, answer these questions. Are you ready, brother? Absolutely. Let's go. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? That I wouldn't have any friends and that I would be a very lonely person. Uh, what is a positive that you did not expect, but received in recovery? One of the positive things that I received is the ability to be vulnerable around really close people in my life. It's something that I didn't have back then. And that's something that I cherish today. I love that. Uh, what is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Right now it's Diet Coke. So I'm like John Daly, man, just slamming. I'm kidding. <laughs> I like Diet Coke. I, I go back and forth between that and uh, various seltzers. And I like ginger beer too. That's kind of fun. The sweetness isn't there as much. So ginger beer is yeah. a good deal. So I've had a few ginger beers. I don't drink a lot of it. Do you like a, like a, a super spicy one or more of a mellow? I'm an alcoholic, man. Spice me up. That's... <laughs> If I want, if I want the ginger taste, let's just go full ginger. Yeah. So just stick a a (laughs) root in your cheek while you're sitting Find me a good Japanese restaurant, put some of that ginger in my hand. We'll throw it in there for good measure. So yeah, I I go on the the heavy side for the ginger beer if I'm going to have one of those. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, (laughs) What, what is your plan in sobriety moving forward? Uh, My plan is eventually I'd, I'd like to be more open to sponsorship. Um, in the AA program. Um, I also really excited about doing some retreats and becoming more of a service-oriented sober person um, to whom much is given, much is expected. And uh, I feel like I can uh, give a little bit more of my time to those that are struggling. So I'm looking forward to doing that in the next few years. Nice. That's a Karate Kid quote, right? I think so. Well, I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, I love that, man. That's, that's a, that's a, I'll, good... I'll attribute it to, it wasn't my brain. I heard it <laughs> once and it stuck. So <laughs> that is a, uh, that is a good vision, brother. Uh, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Still not to kick yourself in the butt too hard for my first meeting. I am notoriously hard on myself. And I think a lot of alcoholics are, and uh, a lot of people that have questions about if they're an alcoholic, I think we're really hard on ourselves and I'm really going to beat myself up. And, and I still remember that as, as being a life lesson that, that I cherish. That's really good, dude. Uh, what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners who are either thinking about recovery or are in early sobriety? Early sobriety, uh, if you're making the journey, it gets better and look outward, not inward. Look out for that community that's not drinking. 
because uh, there is one. And, you know, they say 33% of the U.S. population doesn't drink for some reason. So look out for those people that, that aren't doing it and just be yourself. For those that are, are thinking about it, um, I wouldn't regret any of the situations that happened to me in my past because today is a lot better day and a clearer day than um, I ever thought I'd have in my life. So um, if you're considering it, it's a really cool way to live life. And it doesn't necessarily need to be, you have to be on a podcast to be sober. Um, it's a cool way to live life and you get to learn a lot about yourself. Nice. And last, but certainly not least, what is your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. Uh, you might need to ditch the booze if you think, and I, I think I'm re- rephrasing it from the past, but if you think that Maker's Market 7s on the back nine of a golf course is going to make you play better, because I'll tell you what, it, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't work out. If you think drinking helps your golf game, it does not. And if that's your thing, you know what I'm talking about. So. That's right. <laughs> She's swinging a little wild. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't help. Trust me. <laughs> oh, funny. Brad, thanks so much for coming on again, man. Thanks for making the time. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for having me, man. I It's good to see you. And uh, this is a great program. So I'm just happy to be part of it. We live in a good time, man. There's We got a lot of support. We've, we, yeah, we, we do. We got a lot of support out there. Uh, not just even even beyond the things that, that you and I talked about today. Um, it's, it's a good time to get sober. Might not feel that way if you're in it, but it's a good time to get sober. And, and I appreciate you sharing your story, dude. It's amazing how good we can connect now with people. And uh, it's just, I appreciate you allowing me to ter- share it. And if it helps one person, it helps one person. That's all that matters. So, well, yeah, you've already helped at least one. Uh, oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, brother. I love Thanks, you. Love, love you too. well. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Brad, for coming back on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. You know, I've seen a lot more conversations about dry January and the idea of being sober curious taking place lately. What's really cool is that these conversations are happening outside of my recovery spaces. In the news or from non-recovery friends on Facebook or at work, the idea of taking a look at your drinking is becoming a little less taboo. I say this fully aware that it's the season of New Year's resolutions, which is full of health and wellness goals, but that's okay. I think that any conversations we have are creating awareness, and the more we talk about the idea of not drinking, the more we normalize it. Listen to the conversations being had around you. Is there any way that you can share how not drinking has made your life better? We don't have to open up and share our whole life story while someone is pouring their morning coffee at work but we could drop a little info sharing that we too chose to step away from booze. Keep your ears open, RE, and trust your gut. You'll know if it's the right time to share. We took the elevator down, but we've got to take the steps back up. I love you guys.
Get it. 